Cosby. Um, and uh, anyone else uh, listen to Bill Cosby, grew up watching the Cosby show, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and still to this day, there isn't a show as good as the Cosby show was when I was young. I love it. I love it. I'll never forget um, listening to my dad's record player, uh, so I'm dating myself. He had these actual records, they're, they're not CDs, they're bigger than that, turntable, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, listening to Bill Cosby himself. And I thought I'd treat you to a little bit of Bill Cosby himself, if that's okay. I have a two-minute clip that I wanted to share with you, um, if that's okay. So, we're going to get into it. Let me give you an example of what I call the same thing happens every night. It's supper time. Do you have children? Two. Okay. That, that qualifies. Because a person with one child, I don't call them really a parent because there are too many things left out. For instance, if something's broken in the house, you have one child, you know who did it. <laughs> so you don't have to go through. <laughs> you know the child did it. Also, people with one child do not have to go through. Will you stop touching me? I mean, if you got one child and the child's doing that, then you got to take it away, you know. <laughs> now, the same thing happens every night. We have five children. They sit in the center. My wife is at this end, I'm at this end. Now my wife looks the situation over and she can tell when the children are not going to eat anymore. See, she can tell. They've, they've, they've fooled around long enough. All right, now you've fooled around long enough. Everybody get up from the table. My wife says this every night. Everybody get up from the table, go upstairs, take off all your clothes, get into the shower, Please turn on the water. You have to tell them to do that. Because if you don't, they'll just wander around the tub. And then get out and get in the bed. Please use soap. That's mostly for my son. Rinse yourselves off. Dry yourselves off, put on clean pajamas, get into the bed, and go to sleep. Now, and that's where I'm going to pause it. But what I wanted to draw your attention to uh, was not to having one child. It's okay to have one child, by the way. But was the directions about going to bed. And I love how clearly he stated, when you go to the shower, you've got to turn the water on. Otherwise, just wander around the tub. You know? And then later he'd say that one of his kids forgot to dry himself, and so his pajamas were stuck to his body. And that's how he came down, because he didn't listen to directions. And it reminds me, it is so easy to lose your sense of purpose. To forget what you were supposed to be doing and why you were doing it. Just like taking a shower. In fact, has this ever happened to you? Uh, for me, it's so easy at home. Maybe you're doing a Saturday chore day. And so you set out to fold the laundry. That is your only task, is to fold the laundry. But as you're doing this, you see, oh, the, the dishes are dirty. And as you're doing this, you say, oh, what did they just post on Facebook? Or as you see, the, what, what's going on in the baseball game? And, and you can find yourself in the middle of the house not remembering what you were supposed to do. It happens. 
This will happen at church. I will find one thing to do in church, and then later I'll be in the middle of the church wondering, what did I set out to do? This can happen in companies. In fact, you might have worked for a business who lost sight of what their main thing was, who either changed their product line or their identity. They got away from that and, and were into something different. In fact, some think that's why Circuit City is no longer around, uh, because they lost their sense of mission, their purpose, and what they were all about. Well, if that happens at the home, if that happens at work, do you think it can happen at this place? <laughs> I think all too often. And that's why I'm so excited about this series. We're going to look at the early Christian church, and we're going to see what it was like to follow Jesus then. And here is the goal for our series, Roots. The goal is this, to see what the church is and what the church does in order to stay on point or to stay on mission. And I'm so excited to get into the book of Acts. But with that, I have an exercise for you today. Um, the next exercise, you have to pick out which one is the church. I'm going to show you some pictures, and I'm going to try to trick you, uh, so get ready. And you're either going to say, is the church on the left or on the right? So prompt with either left or right. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. So which one is the church? You've got to pick it out. Is it on the left or is it on the right? It is on the... Very good. Very good. Wow, we're smart. Um, the actual left-hand picture is a medical office crazy. Um, what about this one? Is the church on the left or is it on the right? It's actually on the left. This used to be an Ashley furniture store where now people are gathering uh, to hear about Jesus. Um, next, um, this is Quest Field in Seattle and where the Seahawks play, but is the church on the left or on the right? It is actually on the left. There's a picture of an Easter service. How cool to fill a stadium full of Christians celebrating a resurrected Jesus. That's awesome. Uh, let's do that someday. Uh, anyway, and then finally, um, this is a little more near to home. Where is the church? Is the church on the left or is it on the right? All right. Um, mostly the right. Um, this is uh, where we um, started, and that's actually our first Easter service. And uh, kind of cool to see how God has blessed us then, continues to bless his church, and, and all of that. Well, the reason I had you go through this exercise is because one point is that the church is not a place, it's a people. In fact, could you say people? Say it out loud. Say people. Thank you. We are the church. You and I are on the church. Now, the church gathers to do something. The reason the soccer team wasn't a, a, a church is because there's something that unifies us. There's something that unites us, that when we get together as people, this is what it's all about. Can anyone guess what that is? It's not Dunkin' Donuts. Kids might think that. It is Jesus. Exactly. And here we've come to the definition of the church that I want to share with you, that people are the church that are gathered around the message of Jesus. And what this means is that when we get together, primarily we're not about social reform, even though that might happen. Primarily we're not about uh, coffee and donuts, even though that's awesome. Primarily we're not about a way of doing things or about a structure, but primarily we're here to hear about Jesus, and it gives such clarity. In fact, when we go back now to the book of Acts, consider what they have. When they're gathering around Jesus, they don't have a building, do they? Maybe a house that they're gathering in. They don't have a way of doing things. And so during Easter, I'm not sure they had a clip-on tie to wear. That's craziness, but I'm not sure that was part of what they did. They didn't have a style. It wasn't about traditional or contemporary. They just had the resurrected Jesus in their midst. This message that they would gather, no matter the place, no matter the form, to hear about that. 
and it's so clarifying. So let's get into it. Let's read from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read the whole section there and then dig in. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Well, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, this was interesting, but he showed up to a doubting Thomas, a disciple Thomas, and said, Hey, Thomas, take your hand, put it in mine, touch me and see that I'm alive. And, and he touched the wounds of Jesus. In, in front of others, he would eat food just to convince he wasn't a ghost. In front of Mary Magdalene at the garden. So he convinced them he was alive. He appeared to them over a for, period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is interesting. Um, just so you know, you're never done studying the Bible. This is kind of an unanswered question about what John's baptism was. Some say it was just a baptism of preparation for Jesus, that maybe he didn't use the Trinitarian formula in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so it was more of a preparation than the Holy Spirit working through that. But uh, again, there's some question marks there. You're never done learning. Moving on. It says, Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, when I read that, I had to laugh. Because what this means, dear friends, is that you don't have to be the smartest person in order to be commissioned by God. And that gives me great reassurance because the disciples here with the resurrected Jesus still didn't understand his purpose. Didn't know that he wasn't establishing an earthly kingdom. Moving on. It says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. This is the word of God. Not only do we learn a lot of different things, we also heard our marching orders, which we get to consider. May God so bless our discussion. You know, I love going out to eat. There is something almost magical about not having to do the dishes and not having to clean up a mess. And one of my favorite restaurants, and maybe you've heard of it, is this one. It's in Mokina, Chipotle. Any Chipotle lovers? Well, talk about Chipotle a little bit. It's a restaurant on the rise. And uh, not only getting many different locations, but if you're uh, an investor, uh, when they first started investing, their stock trade was about $50 a share. Right now, they're about $500 a share. Now, I'm not a math guy, but that seems pretty good. And I was thinking of what makes uh, Chipotle tick. Why do they have such a good business? And I looked up their mission statement. I want to share with you their mission. It says that their mission is to change the way people think about and eat fast food. Now, I think they're doing this. What they're doing is they're actually taking healthy, fresh food. You can see the chicken cooking in front of you and the vegetables that are fresh and, and saying you can have fast food that is also good for you um, at Chipotle. They're also very concise on what they're setting out to do. If you go into Chipotle, their menu is very brief. There's not a burger. There's not a pizza. There's basically taco, bowl, or burrito, and that's it. Well, because of that, because they know who they are and what they're doing, I think they have a phenomenal product. I really love their burritos, and it's fantastic. Well, just as Chipotle knows what they're doing, so Jesus so very clearly told us what we are to be about when we gather together around the message of Jesus, and that is found clearly in verse 8. Look, look at verse 8 once again with me. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, which is important because we're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit here. 
But here's what we do. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What we're here to do is basically tell what Jesus did. That he was dead, but then he conquered death and rose again out of love for us. There are parallel accounts about what we are to do. Parallel account found in Matthew where it says this. Uh, maybe you've heard this passage. It says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In Mark it says this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And so what I believe if you decipher what God is telling us, our marching orders, our mission is this, to share and to spread the message of Jesus. Now a church that doesn't primarily do that is like Chipotle selling prom dresses or processed burgers or what have you. It's, it's off point. And so we've said to do this, to do what God wants us to do, to be a people and a church that please God. We've rephrased it to say, we're going to reach the lost with the love of Christ. Let's talk about how to go about this. Have you ever met someone who is just so pumped up about something they could not be quiet? Never forget a, a trip I had to a men's retreat with my dad's church. And there, I'm going to date myself by this illustration. There, a man had just purchased this. So I'm really dating myself. <laughs> the original iPod. And because he had it, he could not stop going off that it was a, a thousand songs in his pocket, that the Apple company was awesome. They made Macs like BMWs. They're just superior machines. I think we even talked about profit sharing. And I didn't know that you could talk about electronics for two hours long, but let me tell you, my friends, it is possible to talk about Apple and, and iPods that long in the car. He just would not be quiet about what was going on. You know what I'm talking about? People with a restaurant or something they found or something they're just pumped up about. I think this was the sense of the early Christian church. I really do. In fact, I want to tell you the story that always strikes me is when the apostles are, are, are called to the carpet by the leaders in Jerusalem and the religious rulers. And, and they are told basically, guys, you need to be quiet about Jesus because you're kind of wrecking our deal. Um, people are catching on. Stop doing that. And Peter, he responds with this. He says, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You see, guys, you killed Jesus, and we were there. You crucified him, and he died. But then three days later, he rose from the dead, and he appeared to us with convincing proof that he was alive. And so I don't care. We are going to share this message of a risen Savior. And that's true to me. If I met someone who, who died and came back to life and showed me, I would tell people about it. That'd be pretty easy to do. Well, this idea of what we cannot stop doing, this idea of an infectious conversation, is what I pray happens in the church of God. You see, that's why I'm here. Because when I had no love for Jesus, he loved me. And when I had only guilt and shame, he died for me. And when I didn't know where my true family or true home was, he invited me into his family and showed me my eternal home and he's written eternity on my heart that proves to me I do live forever somewhere. And that's the same with you. And so that means that I cannot help but share this message. 
I cannot help when I encounter someone who doesn't feel loved to tell them, you are loved by Jesus. I cannot help to tell someone who feels the guilt and the weight of their sin to tell them they are forgiven through Jesus. I cannot help those who are questioning end-of-life issues or a death somewhere that they have an answer for death. And this is in Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. I cannot shut up. I cannot stop. And no one can stop me. It's that good. And this is your goal and this is my goal. I don't care how much you talk about Apple. I don't care about much how you talk about Chipotle or your favorite department store. But may we always be infectiously talking about a God who so loved us, he gave his life and rose again. That's the picture of the church. But do you know there is something that can stand in the way? In fact, quite a bit that can stand in the way of the church. Never forget preparing for last Sunday, Easter Sunday. And if you're ever, you know, given a presentation or spoken, you can imagine what a daunting task it is to preach the Easter message. A little trepidation around it. You know, I'm, I'm considering all the things that I want to have happen, you know. I um, want God to move in great ways through his word. You know, I'm, I'm really worried about my Easter outfit. Um, that's a joke. Um, but, but there's a lot of nerves around preaching the Easter message. And I'll never forget a conversation I had with one of my mentors. There's a lot of mentors in my life, and I listen to all of them. Um, and, and this guy told me, he said, you know, Dustin, you can't improve upon the resurrection message. He's going to rise, and it's going to be awesome. But what you can do is you can stand in the way. By your attitude or by how you prepare, you can stand in the way by what you're doing. Dear friends, it's true for us too. God is right now active in the world. His mission, His story is spreading. And while we cannot maybe help that because He's the power, He calls us on His team to be a part of it, we can stand in its way. And as a guy who grew up in the church, you know what stands in the way of the mission? If I would sum everything up that I've seen and that I know? Selfishness. Selfishness is the biggest stumbling block before the church's mission. In fact, I would, I would say this, that selfishness stymies God's mission. There was another pastor who I respect that I, I listened to who said this. Um, he said, because of this, the, the gravitational pull of any church is to look inward. You see, we all have this sinful nature. Yes, we know we're forgiven, but we still wrestle with this sinful nature. And what that does is it makes us selfish. At times, all of us can say, I know what I want, disregarding the mission, disregarding what is best, disregarding what other people need. Because of that, we're all tempted to get in the way sometimes of what God is doing. Now, because of my own selfishness, God should have given up on me a long time ago. He should have said, okay, you want it your way? Well, I'm leaving. But he didn't do that with me. And he doesn't do it with you. You want a passage to rock your world? To unearth why you can get behind the mission of a church? I love this passage. It says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, there was one who was entitled to make it all about himself. There is one who is entitled to ultimate servitude. But that same one, Jesus Christ, said to you and to me, I'm going to make this about you. And that same one proved the ultimate service to us by giving his life. And what this means primarily is that we've gathered to hear how we are forgiven 
forgiven of any selfishness or any time we've gotten off track. But what this also means, dear friends, is you're set free of yourself. You don't have to only pursue you. You can now pursue God's mission and what benefits others. And that's what we can rally around, dear friends. And it's important that we do. Our service is important that we do together. For if you look back at our lesson, where is Jesus? Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Where is Jesus? He's in heaven. Which boggles the mind, because I don't know about you, but admittedly, it would be cooler if Jesus was doing this ministry. Right? <laughs> Admittedly, I would like to see that too. You know, to hear his stories, to see how he loved people, to see how he would interact. That would be awesome. But what he does is he leaves and like a shop owner, he gives the keys over to the employees. And he says, carry on. And it started with 12 who spread it through the world. And now it begins with us here again who have been given this great work to do of sharing the message. And that is important work. It's work that we're all commissioned to do. Because of the work we have to do, I believe this about the local church, that the local church is the hope of the world. What we do here is more important than what happens at the cell or Wrigley Field. More important than what happens at a department store or school or at work. What we do here changes lives, awakens people to see the beauty and the love of their Savior. And it is work we need to do together. You know, to close, I want to talk about what happens when the church gets it right. And when the church gets it right, it is always about people. One of the coolest stories that I know, and I've shared with some teens, and, and maybe even you have heard of this, I want to share the story of Brian Head Welch. I have a picture of him. Brian Head Welch was at one time the leader of a band named Korn. Now, you don't have to raise your hand if you've heard of Korn, but, but when I was in high school, Korn was pretty popular. And uh, if, if I could pick a band that seemed to be the opposite of what God wanted, it would probably be Korn and some of their lyrics and what they were about. Well, Brian's story is that when he was the head of Korn, um, he was um, addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol and crystal meth. Um, he had a child at the time, and, and, and while watching his child, sometimes he would be on crystal meth, which is just kind of crazy. Well, one day he was looking at a house, and his realtor approached him and he said, you know, Brian, I never do this, um, but I came across something that I think would be helpful to you. And he shared with him these words. He shared the words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. From those words, Brian hearing those words, his life began to change. He went to a church and he understood through the gospel that there is only love coming down from heaven from God that there is forgiveness coming down from heaven for him, that there is new beginnings and new opportunities for him. And what happened is that he actually quit the band corn. He's no longer the lead singer. He got rid of his drugs and he, he wanted to be a, a gospel-believing, Christ-following Christian who was a good dad as well. Life change is what it's all about. I have no greater thing to, to tell you than that when people understand the love of Jesus, it is amazing. It is awesome and things begin to change. When they know they too are forgiven through the cross, when they too know where their true home is, they start living with purpose when they know the peace that's in their hearts. 
This is what we can do together. This is what's happening. For I have been witness of how faith has been reawakened, how faith has been refined, how people start living for the glory of God and His mission. Let's get it right, dear friends. As we look back at the early Christian church, let us remember that the church is primarily not about a style. It's not about a place. It's not even about donuts as much as I love donuts. It's about Jesus sharing and spreading that word that the one who died out of love for us rose again and has great hope for us. Let's share that message. Amen. Please stand.